Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Masari Happy Hour, Episode 4. Um, as always, we're going to start off with a quick disclaimer. All opinions expressed by our hosts and our guests are merely their own opinions. They do not reflect any endorsements or opinions of their companies. This discussion is meant for informational purposes only. You should not take their opinions as investment advice as you will be solely responsible for your own investment. Hosts and guests may hold cryptocurrencies discussed in this Twitter spaces. Additionally, certain Masari employees are required to disclose their holdings, which is updated monthly and available at our website. I will share the tweet that has our disclosures as we start this discussion. Web3, PFPs, GameFi, we're going to kick it off with a discussion on the PFP ecosystem. Are there any events um, or communities or mints that anyone in this space has been tracking? What's the, the general sentiment currently in the NFT PFP ecosystem? Yeah. Uh, thanks, Doug. Um, I can kick this off. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Justin. Uh, this is my first space uh, with Masari. Uh, I am on the research team, and I actually joined uh, pretty recently, too. So um, this is going to be really exciting for me to uh, just uh, participate in this space. And a project that I've been keeping track of uh, has definitely been Artifact, um, just to give a brief little summary about it, uh, they were a uh, like kind of like a, a design company focused on gaming before they got into NFTs, and then they uh, switched over at early last year, 2021, with some collabs with uh, Fawochis, which is a native crypto artist. Uh, they collabed with a uh, fashion artist named uh, Jeff Staple, uh, who he's like a pioneer in the sneaker uh, area uh, from the mid 2000s. And essentially, uh, they have been able to create this crazy unique ecosystem with their own pods, which is like your own, your own digital room where you can customize it. You can add uh, paintings and other NFTs that other people can then view this room. Um, they can interact with it. They can buy those NFTs that you have in your room if they wanted to um, and if you wanted to sell them. Um, and uh, a second little tidbit about that is that Nike acquired them as well in uh, in December. And uh, as you can imagine, Nike owns, of course, its own brand, Jordan, Converse, and now Artifact. So now that that fourth brand, you know, it's being held into that same regard as the others. Um, and, and I believe with that uh, kind of Nike backing, and I'm sure we'll get into this later about uh, comparing VCs and just other uh, kind of other company involvement as well. Uh, that I feel like that backing is something that will be very interesting moving forward, um, and and we'll we could go more into it uh, in depth later on. But um, definitely uh, piquing my interest in seeing how Nike can kind of uh, uh, push that funding and and push that that project further. I've got a question for you, Justin. Is there anything specifically, because I think we're going to get get to a point here where we talk about these projects that are, that are popping up, whether it's a simple PFP or a project like Artifact. Are there items on the upcoming roadmap, roadmap that have you intrigued? Is it simply the connections that they have with a power like Nike? What, what value or what utility has drawn you to this ecosystem specifically is keeping you in it? And do you think that at its current, current, current value, will these items on this roadmap continue to keep it at, at a, a, a certain, a certain point or as things come to an end and they run out of roadmap items, uh, will it hit a, a stasis of, of, of some point or a, a true, a true value. Definitely, an excellent question, and I'll, uh, I'll f focus on the the first half about like what what makes me want to participate in this community still and, and hold on to their NFTs. Uh, one example 
is that they are really focusing on on connecting uh, physical fashion with digital fashion. And what I mean by that is that your your PFP, your your avatar, um, it's called a cologne. Um, let's say it has this really cool uh, puffer jacket, or maybe it has a cool, cool chain on it, or maybe a nice hat. Um, what they've alluded to is that you'll be able to forge those items in foraging as in you'll be able to manufacture them uh, into the real world and you'll be able to have it shipped to you for free and all that. And if you think about it, again, now this is this is turning into that whole sneaker fashion culture with, with all the resellers. And that's a, a pretty sure it's a billion dollar industry in itself. You're reselling sneakers and and you have all those secondary markets. Um, if your clone, right, if he, if if it has a jacket where there's only 20 of those, 20 other clones with that jacket, and you own the physical one, that's going to have its own tangible value too. Whether you want to, whether you want to resell it, or maybe you just want to hold it on for, for for cloud purposes, um, which some people would like to do that. Um, I, I think that is a very unique thing where Nike has the manufacturing power to forge and create those items on a mass scale. This isn't some some print-on-demand thing where you go into your local uh, manufacturer, you really have arguably the biggest, uh, you know, one of the biggest clothing companies that are that are backing this process. Um, and can you repeat the, the second part of the process? Oh, it was sort of the question, it was for uh, uh, when the roadmap ends. Yeah, the second part of the question is, that for not just Artifact, but most of these projects, whether they have a, a roadmap to start or something that's applied after it's gained some traction, when those roadmap items end, and let's assume this project is at peak value, bluntly, what is the point of holding the project and does it retain does it continue to retain value or has has the value been extracted already and people move on to the next the next item? Yeah, or the next that, project? that's a really interesting question. Definitely, yeah, that's a really interesting question um, and very important one, right? You don't want, I feel that as a project, you don't want to come to the end of the roadmap and say, okay, what do we do now or <laughs> what now? And uh, it, in general... Right. If a project were to come to the end of the roadmap, then I I would I would expect to see that project's value to come down, and, and just it, the the value would just be based on how cool it looks, or maybe just on the community, how much the community values it. But if there's no more utility coming out, then uh, you know it will definitely be a, a sticky situation. And on the other side of that. I believe that Bake, uh, they did it. They they did it on uh, the, uh, the safe side of things, right? They were working towards two roadmaps. You know, they finished the first one. They came out with the second one, and then they got VCs involved to kind of give them some extra leg room and, and provide them with greater potential to to create something that will last longer, right? You're gonna have if you, if their ecosystem, their metaverse plays out then perhaps, um, you know, they don't need to be keep creating new roadmaps every six months or every four months, whatever it was last year, right? They can kind of just have this ecosystem run on its own, maybe through, I don't know, maybe through some sort of MMO type of game going on. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to play out, but but that's just what I'm speculating. Um, and and the, the users, the people that are interacting with this can kind of just get some sort of utility, get some sort of fun from it on its own without the team having to create something new every three, two to three months. Yeah, Justin, so going back to when you were discussing the sort of utility of uh, like the digital fashion along with the physical fashion, something just a question that came to mind for me uh, in terms of, I mean, valuing the NFT and also trying to figure out like how this digital to physical like bridge is built. Like what happens if there's a user say who, you know, owns the digital version of this, like you were saying, the example I think was like a jacket, for example. And so then they get the physical item and then they choose to sell one or the other. 
So then they only own, like, let's say they sell the physical jacket to somebody else. And then, you know, at some point they want to get out of the project. So they also said the NFT, does that create some sort of like tension behind what they're trying to build in this like real world to digital world connection? Cause now you have like a, you know, now you have one person who owns a physical item and a totally different person who owns a digital item. So do they like lose their connection value wise or how does that relationship play out? You think? Yeah, I totally see what you're saying. I personally do not think it'll create that much of an issue. Um, you kind of see it with, uh, even just with, with basic Board Ape Yacht Club merchandise, right? Someone might keep holding on to the merchandise. They may keep wearing the shirts, the, the jackets, the hats, but maybe they sold their, their eight five, six months ago. But they're still, they still feel uh, a part of that community. They still feel proud to wear it. Or, you know, they, they just like it. Um, and, and I, what I've seen is that hasn't really been an issue internally, right? No one is saying, hey, you don't have your borate anymore. Uh, stop, <laughs> stop wearing the hat. Take, take the hat off. <laughs> Anything like that. Uh, I, I think that that would be, that's not what Web3 is about, uh, as far as my understanding. So I, I'm not too concerned about the physical selling and then and the digital being held by someone else or, or anything like that. I think with that framing, I've got a, a question for for the group as a whole. This is me playing devil's advocate. I don't know if every project that is dropping right now has quite the roadmap that an artifact has, specifically when you talk about your basic PFP. What, what do we think the general health is of the NFT PFP space? Is it something that can continue like we saw back in summer and fall where every single project, no matter who was behind it or what was on the roadmap, was successful at least to the point that someone could hold it for a little bit and possibly flip it? Um, or is that framework dead and we've moved to a point where you have to have a, legit, a legitimate roadmap or some form of utility or enough backing in the case of like a Yuga Labs project <clears throat> to have staying power? I know that was like half statement, half question, but in short, do we think the general health of the PFP community currently is something that's sustainable as is right now? Or have we finally reached a point where it has to, to, to develop just past the basic PFP, someone launching a PFP and that's it? I think right now, just kind of given the overall macro health, um, a lot of the NFT community has kind of gone risk off. And that's why we see this new free mint meta going on with the goblins. Uh, disclaimer, I do own one. Um, but yeah, with this with this new free mint meta, it enables the, the community to, you know, still have upside with these projects. But you're not having this high investment cost of, you know, buying one of the more top tier blue chip ones like a artifact or a, or a board ape. But um, overall, I think going forward, these projects that are able to still show these people value and develop a community um, such as the goblins. I mean, they're, there's a lot of value in building a community and building like a cult like following and um, developing that relationship between the team and having that trust, um, whether it's through um, through offering value via merch or the roadmap, or uh, whether it's showing you know technical excellence uh, such as goblins, where you know the people, the community has gone into the code, and the team has really showed that they they put a lot of work into the code that went into this project. Are we are we worried with this new free mint meta, quote unquote, that there's going to be spawns of the same type of project? I myself being someone that that dove into to hobgoblins after the goblin project. Do you think people will pay attention to some of the some of the tells? Uh, that may present themselves as far as it being a, a flourishing community or not, what 
maybe a better question is what are you looking for exactly? And do we think that because of the success of something like goblins, which may, may or may not be hard to track. And I'll let you answer that, Justin royalties coming into play. Like will we see these free mints with ridiculous royalties and it just turned into to another situation that kind of dilutes the value of the PFP ecosystem as a whole. And people just come in, they grab their royalties, they leave. What Maybe the question is, what has drawn you to goblins outside of just the quote-unquote community? Um, so in terms of goblins, I mean, as I said, the, the team has shown that they actually put in effort into the project. And I mean, I think that's just something that applies to the whole crypto NFT ecosystem in general. Um, if you, if you back a team that, you know, is putting in the work is, is making the right plays time after time. And it's kind of, you know, giving you a resume uh, and something to believe in the project um, that really helps to grow that community, that cult like following that we've seen with a lot of the successful projects. Um, I mean, it, a part of the reason that the these goblins have grown so strong is their their presence on Twitter. They have these these spaces where they're making the weird goblin noises. They're always active in the Discord, and those are just good signs that these people are actually in the project for something that they believe in outside of just you know number go up type of thing. Uh, whereas, you know, if you go into another project's Discord and the, you see in there the, the talk is just, oh, what's the floor price, all that type of thing, that's, you know, less of a an actual community and more of something where people are solely getting into the project just to flip a profit. I think that's the, the part <laughs> the part that I struggle with is is community enough is having a discord where where there's interaction enough these are not to me not things that are truly quantifiable um not true value and i think that kind of speaks again anecdotally to the health of of eth pfp specifically and i know andrew has a little bit of insight on uh solana side so crypt do you have a question for us yeah uh quick question for uh for Mr. Baba. Um, so yeah, I, I guess that's like, my, my question is basically piggybacking off of um, what Doug's asking, you know, is community enough? Um, like I personally remember back in like the ICO phase where there was a lot of putting the horse uh, in front of the, in front of the carriage or putting the carriage in front of the horse um, type projects coming out. And um, I feel like we're seeing a lot of that with NFTs, right? We're seeing a lot of, um, you know, cool PFP projects coming out, and then them uh, coming out with the with, with the roadmap stating it's going to be available in the metaverse, and you'll have your own avatar, and it'll be in movies, and it'll be in TV shows, and you know, so all this, all these like promises, right? Um, so, do you think that I, I guess again that is, is community enough? Is is making you know weird sounds on a on a, on a Twitter Spaces? Um, enough for now or or is there a lot of a lot of you know um rushing into this metaverse gamify um and and pfp uh culture coming like like you know is is it moving too fast where um we might not see something of value quote unquote let's say come out of these projects in two years but we might see see something come out in 10 years um so i was wondering what what, what like what you thought about that and what and what that looks like. So I don't think community alone is enough for a project to have lasting power, but I think community is a major factor in terms of, you know, getting that adoption within the space, getting the word out there and just kind of having it have that recognition within the space that it has that strong community. Um, but the team still does have to deliver show some competence and that sort of thing. Um, but in terms of, you know, the staying power over a two to 10 year horizon, I think a big part of that is just going to depend on how people view these NFT PFPs. 
Because I think, you know, based on the prices that some of these going are going for, you could argue that they're way overvalued compared to the actual utility that they give. But if you look at, you know, some of the top tier ones, like a CryptoPunk, if you look at that more as something as like a luxury good and a status symbol, then, you know, the price of this, it could have a ton of upside. Um, but the utility obviously isn't there. Go ahead, Cole. Yeah, I, I think kind of following up with that um, about community is while all of us are pretty deep in the crypto space and the NFT space, um, more of a mainstream picture is it's still you know very early for the average person that is just now getting into crypto. So I, I think there is still that runway for community to let projects uh stay afloat or thrive just based off of the sheer amount of people that are yet to come into our industry. And then, I mean, that kind of flows into kind of like Andrew uh, talking about the Solana NFTs and going along with floor prices and entry prices like that. And how, like, like I said, the mainstream adoption, it then flows into our industry. Yeah, I can follow up on that. So one of the things that has been kind of fun to watch over the last month is we've hit the the point in crypto where once again, everybody starts declaring that it's dead, right? You know, markets had a rough six months and all of a sudden you see the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times putting out the articles, that, oh, crypto's dead, like it's over, like, you know, this is all just vaporware. And, uh, you know, if you've been around, then you've seen these before. One of the things to me, though, that's been super intriguing is, so total disclaimer, I'm a pretty active trader in the Solana NFT ecosystem. I hold a variety of projects. Um, but so I, I just because I was curious, I went back and looked up some of the stats on Solana's biggest uh, NFT marketplace, which is Magic Eden. And uh, just for sort of some rough comparisons, wanted to compare that to Ethereum and OpenSea. And what I found was really interesting. So Magic Eden has a total volume on the like on the on the platform of about 18.5 million soul which for simplicity's sake that's about 750 million dollars at current soul prices but what's really interesting about this is so 4.68 million of that soul that's like you know moved around the platform has been the last 30 days so that's a fourth of the of uh, magic eden's total volume has been in the last month so while, you know, there's been all this sort of like FUD about cryptos dying, like everybody's leaving and nobody's interested in this anymore, at least in like the Solana NFT world, it's actually been the opposite. Uh, like up, like usage has upticked. There's been more people who've been coming in and are trading and, you know, like it's actually kind of like thriving as an ecosystem. As to explain why, uh, I think my guess is as good as anybody else's, but there are a few things that stick out to me as possibilities. So number one is just unit bias. So one soul is just significantly cheaper than one ETH, right? I think ETH is trading around 1800 to 2000 right now. One soul is about $40. So it's just a bit easier for anybody who's interested in dipping their toes in this sort of NFT world to, you know, venture onto Solana and, you know, you can buy a couple soul, buy a few projects for 0.5 soul or whatever. And then on the other side of it, like, I think there's a psychological effect of like it's easier to book, you know, a two, three, four, five soul profit on a trade than it is to book like a two, three, four, five ETH profit on a trade. And so like that's like a sort of like a positive feedback. Like you feel good if you like do good trade and you watch your soul balance go up. And so I think like there's sort of a dopamine hit there that people like. I mean, I could say like it's, you know, like it's it's kind of fun. It is kind of a game. Um, the other side, the other thing that sticks out to me is I think because of Solana's like low lower barrier to entry cost-wise the space just iterates much much quicker than ethereum does like I, I like to think about nft trading as you're constantly trying to learn what the current meta is and so there's kind of a game within the game of trading and like recently on solana it's been these sort of just like no like no roadmap really just like community-based projects um like there was one that minted yesterday that was pretty hyped called just ape and uh like i personally like i thought actually like it was pretty solid and like they did a very good job of of hyping the project um i think like after mint it had immediately 3x 
the mint price or something like that. But like that meta, you know, there's been a bunch of other projects that have kind of like popped up essentially copying their sort of like game. And it goes back to like, okay, bears and like a few other ones, but like that meta will probably be gone in like a couple of weeks and there'll be a new thing that pops up in Solana NFT eco. And so with that, I think people like, because of this sort of quick iteration, like there's more, people feel like there's more ability to kind of like hop on the newest trend and be profitable. Whereas like, I think in ETH, it's just, there's just a higher barrier to entry. And like, it's just, I don't know, it's like an interesting, it's almost like a totally different culture. I think you made uh, a solid po- solid point there, Andrew, of kind of quantifying what what is making these these projects hyped or not from the human element um, and, and what has made it easier for, for people in the Solana ecosystem, like you said, with, with lower barriers to entry and maybe a little bit less risk, trying to get back to the utility perspective. And I think a space that ultimately the group thinks could be important in the future. Let's roll into game find kind of talk about the current game of that space. Uh, I think we've all come to the consensus that GameFi could be a really strong tool to onboard people into the crypto space, um, teach them things about DeFi that maybe, uh, maybe if presented to them in kind of the typical fashion would be a little bit confusing or maybe a little bit daunting. Uh, so let's uh, let's jump in and and talk the the bull bull bear case for for GameFi as it stands today. Yeah, I, I can jump in here. Um, it's been really interesting to compare the sentiment of like a lot of people on Twitter versus like a lot of investors, and it's not to say that one is right or wrong, but I think in the aftermath of stuff like Axie, DeFi Kingdoms, even more recently Step In, um, a lot of people are quite bearish um, on gaming. They see it as, you know, lightly veiled Ponzi-nomics with no long-term value, et cetera, et cetera. And to be fair, I think that is, you know, somewhat true, uh, but on the flip side, I think you can't ignore um, just the amount of people, period, that these games, however poorly designed or, or well-designed they are, have been able to bring in in, in a short you know, period of time, both in an absolute sense as well as in a comparative sense. So while I'm personally not particularly bullish on any existing games that have had uh, popularity so far. I think going forward, I expect to see improvements in mechanism design, improvements in gameplay design, et cetera, et cetera, across the board. I, I can't speak to any specific, like specific projects, but just across the board that will continue to bring like more users into the space. So go ahead. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so like I kind of completely agree with you with uh, with with you know where, where we currently are with the, with gamify and and how things have matured over the past year with uh, with all the projects that came out. But um, but I mean I've I've been recently kind of looking at um, is is it required for Gamify to create its own game. Like, does a, does a project need to create a game from scratch and say this game is built on the blockchain and you know it's it's play to earn and whatnot, or is there more value in um, creating um, or like integrating blockchain dynamics and Gamify and play to earn mechanisms in existing games? Um, I was I, I was listening to like some it, it, it was it, it was a random game. That was being released on um, it was like E2 or whatever. I, like I forget the conference, but it's like a big game conference, whatever. And the developers were like explaining the game, and as they were explaining, I was like, "Wow, there's like a story behind this game. Like people like to immerse themselves in these like. I mean, even I did it too. I like I used to play Halo. I used to 
like I like to you you immerse yourself and you get addicted to that game. So, is there is there more value in in taking those games that already exist and saying okay, let's just plug in a play to earn, you know, buy skins, buy our weapons, and you know, live off of that, or like you know what what Board Apes is doing or or what other projects are doing with uh or what Ugo Labs is doing I guess with with other side just creating that from scratch and trying to attract that value because it seems kind of difficult to to get both done from 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 ground zero and then try to build a play to earn game that's also an insane story that people can can really get get into yeah that's a great question and uh, from my personal opinion I think it's I don't know. I'm not going to say it's contrarian, but somewhat contrarian is I, I actually think that there's less value in appending blockchain-based dynamics to existing games for the reason that I don't believe that there will be like any product market fit there, at least for the foreseeable future. What I mean by that is that even if in a literal sense, traditional gamers would be better off if they had these dynamics in their games, the sentiment of those gamers as it stands right now and for the foreseeable future is that they hate these dynamics, they hate NFTs, they hate crypto, they hate play to earn, they hate all of these things. And so that can be changed in the long run. And I, and I think it will be changed. But I also think that there are enough people who have already shown a willingness to touch crypto, if you will, that if you can successfully build uh, a game and not necessarily a play-to-earn game, the tweet that's linked goes into um, a recent post by Mechanism Capital talking about, amongst other things, Uh, the difference between play-first games and earn-first games. And to sum it all up, there's a, you know, there's a big difference between trying to design something purely for fun and trying to design something purely for earning potential or gambling potential. And both of those, in my opinion, can succeed in a crypto-native sense. You know, like, I don't think any of us who've ever gone to a real-life casino think that slots is a particularly fun design game, right? But, and I actually looked this up the other day, the annual revenue of slot machines in the United States is, like, 500 million plus, right? Annual recurring revenue. If there was a slot startup, you know, it'd be a fang stock. So, you know... That's just kind of my outlook is that there are enough crypto native players, speculators, gamblers, etc., to to sort of build both play first and earn first games of, of a wide variety. I don't know if that answers your question. No, no, I think that makes sense. Um, and I guess I, I didn't think about it before. Also, like the transition of Web two game developers moving over to Web three, right? Like, there's also that. So, like, that can, like, really contribute to creating something that, that might be, the perfect balance between uh, a great story, immersive environment, and like, earning and 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 play to earn mechanisms. I have a question for for you, Cal, and then also Cole, if you want to hop in on this, but. I, I'm curious, do you guys think it's possible to create a like a play and earn economy that's long term sustainable? So, you know, like a game that does allow players to own their assets and maybe like earn some in game tokens or something. And like if yeah, do you have any ideas about how that theoretically is created? Yeah, in my personal opinion, I think yes. Uh, in terms of the incentive design necessary to create that, I honestly don't know. I'd probably be a billionaire if I if I didn't know, um, <laughs> but I'm not. Uh, I, I do think that a lot of the existing dynamics that we see in these play-to-earn games, like they're not even, I don't even know if they're really trying to make it that sustainable. 
just when you look at the balance of like, hey, we're giving people these inflationary tokens, they have no supply cap, and like these people are incentivized to sell, you know what I mean? And so inevitably that is going to kind of crash your economy if everyone wants to leave your economy. I think we've seen many such cases of this. Um, But in the long run, I do think it's at least theoretically possible that someone could create a game with incentives such that my desire to exit the economy is less than my desire to stay in the economy. That's what it's all about at the end of the day. You can't have a sustainable economy if 99% of the people in your economy want to leave the economy through the same very small door. It just won't work. And that's what we've seen so far. But as games get more fun, as the earning dynamics get more complex, I I don't know which way it's going to go, but I do think it's possible um, in the long run to see that type of game exist. Yeah, and I'll hop in there too. I, I'm in the same boat as Kel that, yeah, theoretically it is possible uh, for a, a game five game to be successful. But I think what you have to do is you have to kind of break it into two parts where you you take a game that might have NFT land and then you have the token on, on the other side of the equation. Um, if, if the incentive structure isn't there for the token and there isn't some type of feedback loop, like Kel said, everybody's just trying to sell. Everybody's trying to get out. They're trying to get into the game, capture some value, and then get out um, while they're ahead. Um, I I think if you then look at the other side of structuring something like land for a game, then if it's not directly set up for the purpose of let me buy NFT and sell NFT to make money, if it's integrated correctly into a game, then um, it, it definitely can set up uh, the potential uh, for success. Uh, kind of times going back to the token. Um, most game five projects that we're researching, they they don't have that feedback loop. So it is kind of like you only have the downward pressure uh, of the price action. Um, full disclosure: a, a token that I'm invested in, a project I'm invested in, is Alluvium. And so something that's different for Alluvium than other games is their token the ILV token isn't uh, like a play to earn mechanism. While there are going to be ways to acquire the token in game, whether it be through like tournaments in the arena or something like that, um, there isn't a, let me put in a hundred hours of work and do these quests. And I get this many tokens back that I'm just going to go sell on the marketplace. Uh, So kind of take, taking it that route then I think a game can be successful. Do we have any decent examples currently? I know we kind of brushed over some of the games that are actually playable in the space. Do we have any good examples of teams that are pushing towards this? Maybe projects that we're looking at that haven't launched yet that have people excited or just a general theory on what that feedback loop could look like from a token perspective that might keep keep a game up and running as opposed to large groups coming in, extracting and just burying uh, a game's economy and then leaving. Yeah. So kind of taking it back to Alluvium, their, their main game hasn't launched yet, but the arena aspect of it is currently in public beta and is expanding to more users um, on a monthly basis. Um, yeah, the, the way the project is set up is you have, like I said, it's not a, a play to earn to earn the ILV token. You have the uh, you have a two-token ecosystem where you have ILV and then you have SILV2, synthetic ILV. Um, so you have the ILV token where it is used in the governance process of the protocol, but then it's also used for uh, value accrual because you have the way the project set up is 100% of the revenue generated by the game is then um, used to buy back ILV from the market and redistribute it to people that are staking ILV. Um, The other token on that uh, same kind of equation is the synthetic token, which is then used in-game. So if I stake my ILV, 
Um, and then I have the option to, or once I stake my ILV, I then have the option to, do I want to earn more ILV and then kind of stack up um, kind of the strategy of receiving more revenue distributions? Or do I want to receive SILV2, which then I can use as an in-game currency. Um, and then once that in-game currency is used, the SILV2 is burned. And then an equivalent amount of that is not minted on the ILV side of the equation. So that's kind of where some confusion comes in with their uh, tokenomics because you have a max supply of 10 million ILV, but then you only have a total supply of 7 million ILV. And that difference of 3 million comes in to play because 30% of their token supply is allocated to those staking rewards. Um, so kind of going back to the ability of a game being successful uh, long-term, I, I, they're not the focus isn't on users earning the token it, it's based off of just let users play the game uh let us capture alluvial which are nfts um and then that's kind of where the the game ability of let me go to the marketplace let me flip my nfts let me buy um you know let me build a team and go to the arena to compete to earn ilv tokens there um, I, I think a setup like that definitely sets them up for success in the long term, um, more so than uh, something like Step In, where you're, there, there is no feedback loop besides let me use my token to rebuild my shoes, but then what level of value you know, comes after that? Yeah, there, there really isn't one. Cole, just a quick follow-up question, um, just because I think a lot of stuff in crypto tends to make people's brains melt. Mine especially, like trying to wrap my, my mind around this whole Alluvium thing is sometimes difficult and you know better than me. So would you say, like maybe like a good analogy for this sort of like, like the games and the NFTs is like, I think most of us probably played Pokemon growing up, right? Um, in Pokemon, you can grind for hours trying to get like a shiny, which is just a, like stats wise, it's pretty much the same as, you know, whatever breed of Pokemon it is, but it has like a different skin color. And that's sort of like a way to like signal, you know, like value and like you've grinded and like you want to show that to your friends and that sort of thing. So like on the alluvium side, you know, like let's say there's like a similar mechanic that like would like to make this sort of analogy. Is there like maybe like a shiny alluvium somebody could go capture and then what the marketplace does is it allows somebody to like go to a marketplace and like give people the ability to like choose between do I want to say spend hours grinding trying to get this shiny or do I just want to, you know, pay what is currently the fair market value for, you know, a shiny alluvial? Like, th would that sort of make sense in terms of, like, the value capture? Yeah, 100%. I, I think for most people that aren't um, crypto native or people that are up to speed on the project, Pokemon is the example that I kind of default back to because it's just the easiest way um, to connect with most people. So I, I think if you take a step back on the game, you have um, really three different... Uh, sections of the game. You have the overworld where you're running around and you're capturing the alluvials. Um, and then you have the arena to where then you have now collected your alluvials, you have your team, let me go uh, do one-on-one -on -one battles uh, against my, my friends, let me do, uh, you know, against random people. Um, you know, there's a subcategory in there where, you know, you have like a 1v computer mode. Um, and then you have the Alluvium land sale, which is the, the tweet that's linked um, in this space right now, where it's kind of then taking the, the way that I transitioned to that section is like a Clash of Clans setup where you, you're playing uh, a mobile game where you're building up your base. Uh, and then there's features in that um, where, you know, if, you know, they're, they're called fuel, um, where you're going to need these different types of fuel that are generated on the NFT lands that are used in the main game. So bouncing back and forth between like you know, Clash of Clans and Pokemon is um, when you want to capture a Pokemon, you need a Pokeball. Uh, in Alluvials, in, in Alluvium, when you want to capture an Alluvial, you're going to need a Shard. Okay, well, how do you get the Shard? Well, you're either going to go to the marketplace to buy your Shards, or you're going to be a landowner who's harvesting resources that can then use those resources in the main game. Um, so there's so many different aspects of value accrual. If you, if you're a landowner, you're going to harvest these resources and you're going to sell them on the marketplace. 
if you're an overworld player, you're going to grind for the holographics and the legendaries uh, and things like that nature, and you're going to go to the marketplace and sell them. And then if you just you got a stacked team and you just want to just compete against other people, you're in the arena, and hypothetically there's tournaments and things like that uh, where you're then able to you know, earn rewards uh, once again. Transitioning here, um, and we've kind of talked about what might make GameFi sustainable, and we'll go back to ownership, and I'll I'll frame this with uh, a game like Axie Infinity, where obviously there was a point in time where the tokens were could be perceived as overvalued during summer, late fall. You had VCs, large guilds coming in um, and extracting value. And while individuals may have gotten value from that as well, we're going to pin a tweet here from ex-Twitter CEO Jack where he says that we don't own Web3. The VCs and their LPs do. It will never escape their incentives. It's ultimately a centralized entity with a different label. Know what you're getting into. So I've got a question for SoCrypt. We're all playing, all, all of us individuals that aren't getting or are getting VC funding, um, do we actually own Web3? Do we own these items that that we've minted or purchased? Uh, what are your thoughts? And I'll also put Biology's follow-up to Jack's tweet up as SoCrypt kicks us off. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I think you definitely own the NFTs. Like, you definitely own, you know, your ape or your punk. Um, that's, that's 100% yours, but I think the, um, the issue is, uh, you know, uh, VCs, um, big money coming in, which is, it's a necessary thing that needs to happen in this space. Um, like, you know, that's, that's something that, that we need, but, um, I mean, personally, it, it feels like the middleman is coming back into the space. Um, I feel, I feel like we're, we're, we're seeing a lot of, um, let's say like web two business models trying to trying to shove themselves in to the quote unquote web three metaverse, you know, glossy um, ecosystem slash market. Um, and and I think that's, I, I mean, I think that should be kind of, I don't know about concerning, but there should be some more like speculation or some some discussion around that and see what exactly is going on and. And who who these VCs are, and or but, but not not just VCs, who who these people are that are behind the funding of these projects, and 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 what they have in mind, because because they obviously and and obviously you know the projects there that they're um, funded that, that they're fundraising um, have a fiduciary responsibility um, to the people that have funded them. So so there's a lot of discussion there, or there's a lot of weird things happening there that don't seem as like decentralized as one would assume. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, I've been kind of like obsessed with this, with this subject for like a past month or two um, after listening to some investment banker talk about uh, um, web three and, um, and yeah, I mean, if, if you look at, you know, current NFT marketplace or uh, sorry, um, market cap, um, which is kind of difficult to, to gauge, but let's say the you know entire NFT gamify Web three crypto market cap um, is around one one percent between one and two percent of the of the total market cap you know now since since everything's kind of kind of gone down um, VC and private money owns around thirty to fifty percent of the gamify NFT market cap, which is a pretty large chunk when I was looking at it, and I, I was I was just kind of surprised that like no one else has taken a, a look at this and seen how much money has really gone into this into the space. And I expect those those people to want some sort of ROI on what they've invested in. So, what sort of influence do they have over all these projects and and, and where things go? Um, and especially with and even going further than that for let's say Yuga Labs wanting to create their own token and maybe even wanting to, to, to create their, their own chain, like maybe they, they have the money to do that. Like, what does that look like? Is that some sort of um, decentralized 
uh, uh, ledger that's been wrapped into some sort of weird Web two enterprise blockchain, or you know, that's it's it's kind of a weird of a of a of a weird concept. I feel like, but um, but yeah, that was that's sort of my whole um, uh, skepticism around around the matter. And then I, and then we can go into Balaj's um, response, which. Which definitely makes sense, but I don't think it's the uh, it's the sort of antidote to what Jack was was alluding to. Um, so so yeah, I've got some questions for you here. So correct. Do I think leading off? Do you think that the amount of VC dollars that are, are rolling around in the NFT Web three game space has it turned it into something that's strictly strictly speculative? Do, does the the normal everyday person are are we just now playing the VC game and we're you just kind of have to to keep your head on a swivel to make sure that you don't get caught holding the bag at a specific time and maybe a follow up to that and kind of highlighting Yuga Labs is there a point of entry for VC money uh, in a project's lifespan where maybe you feel a little bit more comfortable. Like uh, Board Ape Yacht Club, for instance, kind of did their own thing, and then they joined with Yuga, and now they're getting some VC money and money and backing to to push their project forward. Is, is there a point where you feel safe as opposed to immediately from launch, these devs are working with this VC group, you haven't had enough time to, to do research on the back end to see if they're reputable, reputable or not. Um, those would be my two questions to you as far as what what makes you comfortable and what doesn't. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, for the first part, yeah, that's de- I'm definitely very, very, very uncomfortable with, like, the amount of tokens that the VCs have and, and the unlock periods, especially in the sort of macro collapse slash recession and inflation worries that, that are that are coming up and all these headwinds. So, so that's definitely something that I'd be very very concerned about if I was holding on to something. Um, and and would definitely. I mean, I, I feel like that's going to be like a huge theme for the next six months until until the end of the year. Um, since most of these tokens are starting to unlock after a six month or one month or or a one year period. So that is yeah. That's that should be like number one priority if if I was looking into get into a token. Specifically, right? I mean, if, if it's NFTs, it's 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 a little bit it's a little bit different. Um, and then being comfortable with sort of runway and and the money that a project has raised. I mean, if I'm if I'm looking into, um, you know, make make good return on my investment in. You know, on a, on an 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 NFT, I would definitely be much more comfortable with you know Yuga Labs raising. I don't know how much they raised. It was like close to I don't know a quarter trillion or something or half a trillion. Um, so yeah, I mean, a, a project that has runway for months and years is is is, is way more um, uh, attractive, obviously, but. I mean, I'm 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 just personally concerned in terms of where the project goes and how it develops. Like that's the one thing that that I'm worried about. Like who is steering the the way this project is going to move forward? Because that I mean that obviously dictates what else is going to be built on top of it. You know, or, or, or is 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 going to be an open decentralized platform where anybody can build whatever they want and and, and it's theirs or you know is is the centralized entity, whether it's Yuga or whether it's it, it's whoever is going to own that franchise and owns a piece of of whatever is being built um, on their on their network or on their platform. And then, I mean, this is you know it's a bit speculative, but how does competition in terms of if if Yuga's uh, if Yuga's acquired a project or if a project is being built on Yuga and 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 you know they own a part of it, um, what does that mean for that project? Like, does does it just get eclipsed by Basie and and then and then that's it and it's gone because you know that's or or you know so, so the there's not a lot of uh, there's a lot of like monopolization 
that could happen in that in that sort of scenario, which um, which I'd I'd be very concerned about. And and you know, like that's the whole that's what we've been trying to avoid with crypto, right? It's let's get rid of the middleman, let's get rid of these huge and en- like entities that that could control our finances or or whatever. Um, and and so yeah, that's I mean, it's um, I guess that that aspect I'd be I'd be very wary of and 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 concerned. I mean, I'm not saying that people won't make money off of it or whatever, but 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 for me personally, it's uh, it's an issue. Um, so for for GameFi VC specifically, um, I mean that thirty to fifty percent of token holdings is an insanely high number, but. Um, I was I was reading that you know to make a triple A quality game, it takes like two to three years, and you have teams of a hundred or two hundred employees, and you need like a budget of tens of millions of dollars or even hundreds of millions of dollars. So, is there a possibility, or do you see a way that like an alternative to this VC funding to get a quality of a game like that, um, like either through the community or just uh, you know, maybe a different fundraising method uh, because it, I, from like the way I see it, it seems like VCs are kind of the only way to get the funds necessary to make a game that actually competes with the type of quality of games that we have out now. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think about that. <laughs> like how much money and actually like labor and amount of smart people you need to create a really good game. Um, so yeah, I mean, honestly, I don't think that there is a way, um, without having VC money, but it's, it's also like how, you know, the private money is willing to move forward with the project. I think, I think that that plays a huge role. So it depends on like who, who's investing in these projects and what, what they envision. Cause there's definitely, you know, private money that says we want this to be completely open to anybody and, you know, anybody can build on it and, and and whatnot, um, but um, or or maybe you know the NFT and metaverse and, and sort of gamify uh, ecosystem become their own thing, which is a little more centralized than than the rest of crypto. Maybe it becomes an ecosystem that's just a little more dictated by um, by centralized projects, which you could say kind of is um, already. So. So, so, so maybe there, there is a scenario where, where that happens, but, but no, like I really don't see where else they can get the money or the talent unless the talent is willing to work for free and, and they're super, you know, idealistic about crypto and decentralization and let's just move forward with the, with the way it is and, and, um, and sort of, and sort of, you know, work that way. But, um, but yeah, I mean, in in terms of creating a game, you would definitely need a lot, a lot more fu- uh, funding than than I realized. Um, so yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm I'm gonna hop in on this one because I I think respectfully I, I disagree with both of you on this topic. Um, one of my favorite games of all time, and a game that I've spent probably too many hours of my life on, is Hollow Knight, and it's built by Team Cherry. Which when the original game was built, I think it was only three or four developers. Uh, like it was a relatively small team and they put together, like in my opinion, one of the greatest games of all time. Uh, like it's a, it's a, it's super fun to play. It has like a very immersive story. The lore is excellent, all these sorts of things. So while I understand the point that it takes a lot of money and a giant team to build, you know, maybe something like call of duty Warzone, I do think it's possible for smaller teams without some significant VC funding to create like a, you know, like an immersive good game. In terms of funding, um, also I think that there is, there are some other models. If we're kind of going to say that maybe it is possible to build with a smaller team, something that has happened in the Solana NFT ecosystem, which I've seen as like maybe a possible model for future projects is there was an NFT project called Shadowy Supercoders, which originally nobody really knew what was kind of being built behind that. And so they did, they made this NFT project and they kind of created their own little organic community. And then what came out was that owning the NFT gave whoever owned that 
all of those people essentially then had rights to the token of the actual project that the people behind the NFT were, were building, which is called Genesis Go, which is a decentralized RPC provider. Um, and so like that to me is a really interesting model and in that they essentially, you know, crowd raised from their community and then they built, you know, this, this small group of people who were like very interested in like the tech and these sorts of thing. And then instead of, you know, giving, you know, like a VC firm or something like 50 or 60% of the token supply with whatever vesting schedule, they basically gave the option to anybody could have gone out on the open market and bought an NFT. They believed in it and wanted to have a token allocation, but everybody who was already a part of it, like they were essentially given a portion of it and that for them, like actually contributed to overall decentralization of the project. Cause I think when they announced the token release, there was something like 4,000 ish unique holders so, and it was like 80% of the token supply or something, I believe was in this sort of initial allocation to NFT holders. So that like naturally helped solve some of this decentralization issue that you guys are bringing up that, you know, like VCs and like these people who have institutional money create for crypto projects. Is this like a cure all for everything? No, I don't think so. Like, um, but I do think that there are like, there, there are options. And I think we're also kind of in this area where we don't know what we don't know. And as, you know, people like us are continuing to recognize like, hey, this is a problem and gets away from the sort of decentralization ethos of crypto, you know, people will try to iterate and think about this problem. Like, how do we solve this? And to me, I just think that this is maybe one example that could work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree with the with the crowdfunding um, aspect and like definitely that there have been games that were just like it was five dudes in a garage and they made you know, an amazing game. I mean, like, you look at Counter-Strike, like, that's such a, you know, like, low, low-lift game, and it's, it's probably, it's, yeah, I, but, but again, like, those games are once-in-a-lifetime, like, hits, you know, like, you won't really, like, not you won't, but it's it's super difficult to try to get that, um, especially nowadays where, you know, like, kids play games that, where the graphics are insane, like, we like uh, at least I didn't have that. You know what I mean. So, so the expectation is way higher. I feel like so it's it, it's it's a, it's like a little more difficult for that to happen. But it, it can happen. And like obviously, if it if it does, that's that's awesome um, for for the entire I guess ecosystem or whatever. And it, and I think that's what a lot of crypto games are trying to do. Like you know, retro sixteen pixel. You know these 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 sort of sort of low lift games because um, obviously the funding's not there and and whatnot but but yeah yeah i i totally agree that there's definitely other avenues for for funding and and moving forward with uh creating projects and games that are that don't have to be like call of duty or like a halo infinite or whatever perfect all right um closing closing question here on on Andrew's final piece, are there any other options, whether it's uh, the the initial sale of a token or a project's token that you think can help it move towards decentralization or after the fact, if it's becoming too decentralized, maybe it's community governance, um, something along those lines that could protect that ecosystem from getting absorbed by, by VC money? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's definitely probably the 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 not I don't want to say only method, but like the standard crypto method in terms of how to how to decentralize um, strategies and whatnot. But I don't I, I don't see us having that yet. Um, even even with um, Yuga's ape uh, ape coin, um, you know. They still have uh, a five-person committee that's obviously voted in by, by by community members, but it's it's a committee of founders from big tech companies or or Yuga Labs themselves or um, individuals that have contributed to the development of Yuga uh, or of or of their their products um, or 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 you know private money that that came in and and, and the founders of those companies are are, are involved. Uh, I'm not saying that they shouldn't be involved, but you know the, they they still have. I don't know if it's if it's over you know twenty thirty percent or whatever the, the the number is, but but there's still 
that that sort of central entity that 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 could be leading things, um, uh, and 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 the way the project develops. And obviously, that's like that's not what they want, obviously. But maybe things tend to go that way as as they develop. So so who knows? But but definitely, you know, trying to pinpoint and figure out how a DAO could could work efficiently to to run a company is or, or even in a gaming com- company at that is something that's that's I mean obviously hasn't been figured out yet but 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 would be a I mean a, a great solution to um, to the issue well that puts us right at about the hour mark I wanted to, to say thank you to Cole Justin Baba Andrew Jeff pesos the other Justin um, so crypt and Kel Thank you guys for coming up today and speaking about GameFi, PFP's Web3. You can catch us the 22nd from 4 to 5 p.m. Eastern, um, and we'll, we'll see you then. Keep an eye out for reminders on our Twitter page. Thanks, everybody.